For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap uh, what I think is probably the second most dominant victory the Titans have had in the Mike Vrabel era. I think 2019 at home against Jacksonville was a little better But man, the Titans kicked Kansas City uh, where the sun does not shine. And they they did it the first time on that opening drive. And then they just kept doing it over and over again. I I, I saw this, it was a GIF on Twitter from a Chiefs fan. It was like a recap of today's game. And it was just this one cartoon character just beating this other cartoon character with like a mallet or a baseball bat just over and over again for like a solid minute and a half. That's kind of how the game went, guys. And I want to start with this topic of conversation. Look, people listening to this, you saw the game. You know what happened. You know that Harold Landry, the defensive front, was incredible. You know that Todd Downing called a great game and the offense was totally in sync. And we're going to get to, to analyzing some of those things. But I want to start with what I think is the question that Certainly a lot of national folks are asking, and I think though they won't admit it, a lot of Titans fans are asking this question. I want to put a percentage on how much of that final score, 27-3, to was the Titans being really, really good, and the Chiefs just being not really, really good and stinking. Because it's definitely a little bit of both, but, but where does the majority lie? Which is it more? Um, it is tough um, because just the Titans haven't really crushed a really good team like this uh, in a while. Definitely not this season. Uh, I don't know what the exact percentage is, um, but I, I think the Titans deserve a lot of credit. I, I really do. Like the Chiefs, at least on offense, they haven't really struggled too much this year. Yeah, they've turned the ball over a good amount, uh, Mahomes in particular, uh, but they've had you know, very efficient drives. They've been scoring a lot of points through the air. Um, and, and I just never saw this coming. I never saw a Titans defense holding Patrick Mahomes to three points. Uh, and it wasn't a fluke. Like, th- this was not very fluky. And, and I think the Titans defense has shown some of these flashes throughout this season, even though I've, you know, I- I've been skeptical skeptical about it and, and I haven't wanted to give Shane Bowen too much praise because you know they were still giving up these 30 point games but I mean this was this was pure domination especially on the defensive 
uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So I would say it's definitely more of the Titans just being flat out dominant. Uh, but we do have to take into account that that the Chiefs do not look like the Chiefs of the past just as a collective unit. Um, but like I said, their offense was playing very well this season, apart from maybe the Bills game. Uh, and even in that one, they st- still scored 20, 20 points. So I- I'm going to give the Titans more of the the credit for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I give a lot of credit to the Titans. I, I guess it sounds weird, but to just not make the big mistake, like Jacksonville is not an exceptionally good team. The Jets are not a good team. It, we've seen this team give up massive, huge 50-yard chunk plays to much worse opponents than the Chiefs, even when the Chiefs are playing poorly. Like, they put up 31 points the week before against Washington, and they did that primarily in the second half. So, you know, and they've had their struggles. They still put up a bunch of points against, uh, maybe not a bunch of points, but they put up points against Buffalo, I believe, like low 20s or something like that. I mean, they put up 30-something points on the Browns. So, I guess from that standpoint, it's not like they're playing a team that's got 20 injuries and their quarterbacks limping around or all that. But there is something definitely wrong with the Chiefs. But, you know, just controlling what you can control, uh, the individual matchups almost across the board went to the Titans all game long. Like, there were some stat padding drives and all that later in the game where Kelsey and... I don't even know what Tyreek Hill finished with, but mainly Kelsey just finished with, you know, 80 yards or whatever it was. But really, like, it, I think there was a point, and I sent you all this message. I wish I had it pulled up right now so I could talk about it. But at, at one point, the Titans were like 7 of 8 on third down, and the Chiefs were 0 of 4 on third down. Like, it, it was it was just an absolute beatdown. It was so one-sided. I was watching Football Night in America recapping the game on YouTube, and Mike Florio said he talked to Tannehill after the game, and Tannehill said, like, in the second half, they were sitting around waiting for the onslaught, and it never came. Like, they were on the sideline thinking, all right, you know, Chiefs can turn it on at any time, guys. Let's stay locked in. And then, like, it never happened. So that, to me, points to some of this being the Chiefs not being very good. And as much as I would like to sit here and think that Dane Cruikshank all these years has been the magic solution for the NFL as to how you stop Travis Kelsey, I I just can't quite go there logically. So I think a lot of this is Kansas City being out of rhythm. Mahomes was just like bad. He was not good. He, he stood in the pocket, pump faked at nothing, duped his shoulders back and forth, and then got hit. Like that was how most of their plays went offensively. He was not elevating those around him as he's done in the past. Heard a lot of people talking about how what used to be the secondary element of their offense, the scrambling, the the improvising has now become the offense, and that's why it's not very good. But at the same time, you got to give credit to this Titans defensive front that was dominant. You got to give credit to a secondary in which Greg Maben who had been on the Titans for all of five days, played every single snap. And you got to give credit to Todd Downing, who called a superb game plan, finally getting the big three, 22, 11, and 2, 
involved in the passing and running game. And and so my initial question was percentage. I'm going to put it 70. I'm going to put it 68. I don't want to do, I don't want to, so I want to do 69, but I'm not because, you know, 69. But 60, nice. 68 seems too low and 70 seems too high. So I'm, I'm going to do it. 69% Titans, 31, excuse me, 20, what, what would it be? 21? Yeah, it's 31. Now you had it. 31% Chiefs. That, to me, seems fair. Yeah, I mean, there's a family podcast, but um, <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I was, was going to say 70 uh, also. Um, they just play very well. Like The Titans just look like the much better team and the fact that they did that against the Kansas city chiefs. And like we said, they, they do have problems, but they still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have Andy Reed. They still have Tyreek Hill. They still have Travis Kelsey. You still have to stop them. And honestly, their offensive line hadn't been playing that poorly this season, but the Titans were getting pressure on every other snap. It was crazy. And, and we've kind of seen this. We've kind of seen this uh, throughout this season that the Titans uh, defensive line, whether it's the edge rushers or whether it's Danico Autry or Jeffrey Simmons, the guys in the middle, they're just getting a bunch of pressure. And it's been the difference, I think. I think it's been the, the biggest difference between this defense and last year's defense that really didn't get too much pressure. Uh, and, and we see what getting pressure on the quarterback or moving him off his spot can do uh, for the entirety of the defense. And I, I think they're heading in a very good direction. I do want to talk about the, the Titans' pass rush, but thinking about the other side of that, because you mentioned, and, and I talked about Mahomes being under duress the whole game. Did Tannehill get sacked outside of the right before the two minute drive? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, he got he got pressured once for the interception. I have the but, game stats uh, right I, in front of me. He got sacked. Let me once. say this. Let me One say this. One sack, and it was in so. that two minute drive. Yep. Go ahead. All right. Here's why I think we need to give the Titans more credit than we're giving them. I'm looking at Mahomes' stats from the first six games. So in week one, he had four touchdowns, three touchdowns, three touchdowns, five touchdowns, two touchdowns, two touchdowns. So it's not like he hadn't been able to score. So it's the problem hasn't been that they've been, you know, they they may get shut out. I mean, this is the lowest point total that Mahomes has ever had, and, and I think maybe Andy Reid has ever had in a regular season game since he joined the Chiefs. So you, you can't just say, and and it was also the the highest number of sacks Mahomes has this year. So you can't just say, okay, the Chiefs are bad. It's like, well, if they're bad, they played below whatever standard they had set from the for themselves before, and. You know, I, I do think we need to make sure we're given the right amount of credit because I, I think the fact that the Titans scored so much, so like so quickly in the game, forces offenses to kind of press and try to take chances that they don't really need. Oh yeah, I think that's what caused uh, Mahomes to throw that pass that I don't know whose hands it bounced off of the ones that uh, that Evans. Long contested and then Evans and, picked yeah. off. Yeah, it, it, I think he normally would just run that for six yards and do that aggravating thing that he did against the Titans in the playoff game. Like, I think normally when he doesn't think that he has to score a touchdown on every, on every drive, maybe it's not you know just a complete unraveling. But some of that is just you know you blinked and it was fourteen to zero. Then and he'd already gotten people don't really pay attention to this, but 
Bud Dupree had already strip sacked Mahomes. They just didn't recover it. So that was the first third down of the game for Kansas City. So he had already felt the pressure then. So then they punt that drive. Then Titans score again, 14-0. Next drive, it's, uh, I believe that was the uh, forced fumble by Byard, which turned into 21-0. Then it was the pass that got picked off, then a field goal, and then it was 24-0. And it was just like such a rapid spiral that, I, I mean, I think every team looks bad if they have those things happen to them for, for the first four drives. And off of that, Will, I, my biggest takeaway from the game, what stood out the most to me, this is what I wrote about after the game. You can go read that on A2ZSports.com. The pick-your-poison offense. right? When, when the Titans traded for Julio Jones in June, he got on a Zoom with us, and he said defenses are going to have to pick their poison, right? Because you can't just do the Bill Belichick take away what the Titans do best because they kind of do everything best. You take away A.J. Brown, that leaves a le- one less guy in the box for Henry, and it leaves Julio Jones in single coverage. And you double Jones, and the opposite happens. Then you creep up on Derrick Henry. Well, now you got A.J. Brown and Julio Jones in single coverage, right? And, and we all bought into that. I certainly did. I said this is going to be great. And it didn't happen for the first six games because they weren't out there to varying extent. And even when they were out there, like in week one, it was a catastrophe, disaster. And when they were both out there in week six against the Bills, the offense was clunky again in the first half. And we're, we, we were all kind of sitting here thinking, you know, I never criticized Downing. I was, I was very consistent on thinking that none of this was really his fault. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, wh- what happened? This offense was so in flow and in sync and this year it's just gone there was week seven we saw it again that was the arthur smith titans offense with julio jones plugged in instead of Corey davis and it was really really good the titans made the chiefs pick their poison they decided that they wanted their poison to be anything other than derrick henry pretty much the whole game it was single high safety loaded box And Ryan Tannehill took advantage of the single coverage looks he got with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I asked him about that after the game, and he said, yeah, when they try to take Derrick Henry out of the game, we've got to take advantage of what they're losing in doing that. Titans didn't do that for the first six weeks. They did it against the Chiefs in Week 7. That's why they won in such a convincing way. And that's why you look ahead and you say, this could be one of the best teams in the AFC because they finally figured it out offensively. And, and one last thing I'll say about this. All offseason, we said Shane Bowen's got to get this defense to be middle tier because we know this offense is going to be so good. As recent as a week ago, we're sitting here saying, well, is that going to be good enough? This defense is 15th and 16th in a lot of categories, but the offense is clunky. Now, if you get this offense and you get that 14th, 15th defense, which by the way, the defense we saw on Sunday from the Titans was more like a top five defense. Not sustainable, I don't think, but beside the point. Uh, Titans are really good and and have as good of a shot to win the AFC as anybody. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right with a lot of those points. I, I was also surprised by the offenses. 
uh, efficient efficiency, especially just coming out of the gate. They looked like they had a great script coming into this game. And I don't know if that's really been the case this season. Um, and it just seemed it was as easy as getting AJ Brown involved, honestly, just getting him the ball, uh, which is something that for whatever reason hasn't always happened this season. Uh, I, I know he's been a little banged up, but just create ways to get him open or just get him the ball because he is a legitimate top 10 talent in this league. Uh, and we see what he could do after the catch. It's just incredible what he does for your offense. Um, and like you said, like Derrick Henry didn't, he didn't do much in this game. He didn't play poorly, uh, but it was very clear that the Chiefs wanted to take him away. Uh, and that's the same thing they did in the AFC championship game a couple of years ago. Uh, and the offense did struggle. And, and it was one of the reasons that they really couldn't keep up um, with the Chiefs. But there really wasn't the case in this game. And, and the Titans could have scored more if they really wanted to. Um, and they also had that Tannehill interception that was kind of a, a weird decision on his part. So, I mean, you see the 27 and it doesn't seem like they lit the world on fire, but there was a lot of room to grow. Uh, and even in the second half, like the Chiefs, the Chiefs had the ball for almost all of the second half. They just weren't doing anything on offense. They were going on like long drives. Um, so there's there's room for improvement for the Titans, which is which is kind of crazy considering that they just beat the Bills and the Chiefs, the two teams that were projected to, you know, mean the AFC championship this year. Yeah, and this is why it was so frustrating to watch Todd Downing early. And everybody talks about, you know, you need time to gel. That it's just not true. It, I mean, he picked up Arthur Smith's playbook and he called plays out of that and it worked exactly like we thought it would. You know, it was that outside zone boot. It was taking deep shots up the sideline in the you know from your own red zone to AJ Brown because you know you're going to get one on one coverage. Like it's all that stuff that Arthur, that Arthur Smith did for you know two years. Like the the only reason they didn't score fifty in this game is because as soon as Bobby Hart got in, they went as conservative as they could. You know they took a few shots here and there. They did some screens or or whatever, but. It was not the same aggressive, like, go-for-the-throat defense. It was when in doubt, run and burn some clock, take the clock down to five seconds, and then run a play. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 a little bit frustrating because— well, Let me push back. Like, I'm going to push back. Go ahead. Because go ahead. all training camp—I honestly can't remember how much we talked about this— but I certainly remember like everything I listened to about the Titans on the radio and, and various podcasts and stuff. A lot of people I respect all saying, well, because Julio's not out there and AJ's not out there and Derek's not practicing, there, there was not one day where all four of those, if you add Tannehill to the mix, practiced together. And everybody was talking about, you know, it's going to take time in the regular season and, and they're going to have to get into a rhythm. Was this not just that time and, and finally it all kind of clicked? Because I asked Tano after the game, I said, did something click today? And he said, yeah. No. I mean, it, it was just different <laughs> play calling. They called they called a high rate so, of play action. They called all season. They called 40% of the plays were play action. Like, it was outside zone play action, not that middle zone stuff that they started out with in the season. Like, I, I mean, I, I understand him saying, like, yeah, something clicked. But, yeah, what clicked is the fact that they started using the offense that they used before. Like, 
they didn't use the Todd Downing offense that they used versus the Cardinals. And I think that's why every time somebody brings up the Cardinals to Mike Vrabel, he talks about how they got out coached and all this stuff. And that's his normal, normal standard line. But he gets like legitimately like frustrated and angry. (laughs) And I think part of that's because, you know, all off season, the, you know, we heard that, you know, we're going to keep doing the same offense. The reason we promoted Todd Downing is because he, you know, it's continuity, all this stuff. And then he goes out there and he has less play action attempts than the Titans had at any point last year. And they had to have a come to Jesus meeting. Then two, the next two games, 30 plus percent play action. Then they go to the jets, like sub 20% play action. And it's like, there's a pretty clear line of when the Titans do well and when they don't. And it, no matter what anybody tells you, like we saw on Sunday, rushing efficiency has nothing to do with pa- a play action success. I'm so gonna, I, I'm going to push back again. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we, I've got. Are, I'm sure I've got numbers. <laughs> so you're, you're. I mean, you're acting like Todd Downing just woke up Sunday morning or maybe Tuesday morning after the Bills game and said, "You know what? That Arthur Smith guy was pretty good. I'm going to start doing what he did." Are, are we sure it just didn't take him this long to like? sort of figure out how to be Arthur Smith? Mm. Would you like to comment on any of this before I I don't know, because that seems like that's exactly what happened. I don't know when I became the Downing Stan, who is just like fighting this battle for him, but I feel like I have been all season, which is not me. (laughs) Yeah, like... I don't mind him. I think he's done a good job, especially the past few weeks. Like, he's, he's had some concerning play calls um and, and like we said the the non-play action stuff um in the early part of the season was was kind of weird but i mean i think he's done a pretty good job uh given a lot of the injuries that he's had um uh, that the offense has had uh, especially with luan coming in and out of the lineup and julio and aj brown also dealing with stuff um it's been okay like they're putting up points so if this can continue then that's good, but I agree he has to stick with the things that are working, like using play action at a high rate, because it just works. Like it works around the NFL. It's not just the Titans yeah. and Tannehill that this works for. Like play action, if you look at the numbers around the NFL, like I th- I can't remember the stat, but Justin Fields is like a above average quarterback when they run play action and every <laughs> other time he's the worst quarterback in the yep. league. So, like, it, like as long as Todd Downing could just commit to actually using play action at a high rate, I think the offense will just be fine. I just wish somebody would have warned you all about Justin Fields. But <laughs> we're, just, not doing, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so okay, let me let me do this first because I don't. Todd Downing is not the worst. He is shown that he's capable of change, and whether he got bullied into it or whatever. He, he is not calling plays the same way that he was to start the season when the offense wasn't working. I, I will also say that he, he's brought a screen game to Tennessee that I can't remember them ever having. Oh, yeah. So that's that's exceptional. Well, like the, those uh, are Just quickly on that, I had my notes to talk about. We thought Darrington Evans was going to be the game-changing passing game weapon or at least add another dimension. Jeremy McNichols. Man, he's been awesome. Or Derek Henry. Like, I mean, like... Derrick Henry's been, you know, eight yards a clip or whatever it is. Like he, like he's learned how to catch. Like, and they're not all easy catches, but they're set up well. Yeah. And you know, 
that they're designed well. It seems to be called at the right time. Like that part of it, I, I, I wonder if there's some part of him that when he sees that defenses are overcommitting, his response is, okay, you screen at that. And he's having to relearn. It's like, no, that's when we play action because that's when the 11 players on the field do best, not when the pencil, you know, the X's and O's I have on this paper say that it should work the best. If that, if that makes sense, like his response to pressure is screens and not a natural to call play action and outside zone. But I'll tell you, like you watch the way these outside zone plays develop. It, it's so fun to watch. Like it, once you see a big catch, go back and watch it kind of on slow motion or step-by-step and you'll see why they work so well. The wide receivers get two or three extra steps to build up speed and get, you know, space between them and a the defender because the defenders have to make sure that they're containing Henry. Then you'll see the linebackers space out because the play side is going to cut off, you know, set the edge or to, to kind of get their gap in the run game and the other guys going backside to make sure there's no cutback. And then you get this big gap in the middle, or you get a small gap in the middle with them flat-footed, and Tannehill just rips it between them, you know. And then you get AJ Brown, who once you're on his backside hip, you cannot stop him. Like once he is beaten, the fact that you're probably faster than him, you're toast because his body is so big. He knows how to shield the ball really well, and you have to make sure that you stay in good position because if you try to like knock the ball out of the air before it gets to him, he's going to take it and run 75 yards. So that that's why all this works. I, I mean, it's not, it's not a situation where he rolled out of bed and said, oh, maybe I'll call play action, but he's having to relearn it. And the problem is that he didn't just go into the season spending the preseason learning that. Uh, the problem is that it took him six games to do it. And, you know, arguably... Uh, the Titans should be six and one if they would have called but things Todd, correct. Todd Downing is not the reason that the Titans lost to the Jets. Well, he's okay. not. I mean, I now I agree with you to an extent, uh, but I, I do think that that you know there's a reason why when they like I, I'm going to pull it up right now. You you go ahead and say I don't, a piece. I, I don't have a piece. I've kind of given mine, Matthias. Well, I feel like, no, the reason they lost to the Jets was mostly because they made Zach Wilson look like a competent quarterback. He looked like college Johnny Manziel against them. <laughs> no, y'all yeah. are misremembering. The reason why they they were even in that game is because they settled for three field goals in the red zone. It should have been the exact same game that it was against the Chiefs if they had called their, their game correctly in the red zone. Yeah, but they also played without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And gave and... up a million sacks. I forgot about it. Yeah, didn't they sack 10? Yeah. Like, you, you know why well, they got a million sacks? So, Will, I was going to ask you. that. that that's also in my, my notes here. Will, our resident offensive line expert, What what's happened? Because before the Bills game, uh, the Titans were f- four or five sacks away from equaling their entire 2020 total. And now, each of the last two games, a total of one sack. What has happened? It cannot just be as simple as they're running play action to the outside instead of the inside now. Well, they can get the ball out quicker, right? <laughs> that sigh from Will. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, they they like it looks like they're getting the ball out quicker. Like some of it is, you know, 
they're screening and it's it's a mix of a lot of things because they're screening and they're outside zoning a lot. The guys are seemingly understanding the the protection now for some reason, which you know I don't know why they didn't know it going in. I don't know if that's because they never really practiced fully with the offensive line or what, but that was always weird. Um, I, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Like I would argue that they they don't necessarily look like they're doing anymore it may just be the fact that we're later in the season guys are getting their bodies worn down on defense everybody's not exploding all the time trying to get in the backfield like maybe it's more success on early downs but i mean it's not like it very rarely do you see what you saw for the first few weeks which is just a guy instantly you know in the backfield where it's like you know you saw it when mcnichols missed the pass protection this past week on the sack but you know, that that's a very rare thing to happen now. Let's switch sides of the ball. We'll talk about the Titans defense. Quickly, before we get into more in-depth topics, Breon borders zero defensive snaps. Like, what's going on there? Did, did his bad performance on Monday just end him in their eyes? Because, like I said, Greg Mabin was on the team for five days, played every snap. That's not weird. Yeah, yeah. It seems like they don't really trust him. Uh, I don't blame them. You know, like, like we talked about, like he has zero ball skills, and especially going up against the Chiefs, that's not really what you want in your cornerback. Um, but yeah, it's kind of crazy that they just trusted Greg, Greg Mabin of all people, um, just way more than a guy they've had on their team and has played, you know, uh, in relief uh, this season, but. Yeah, doesn't seem like they trust him at all. So, as, as we've all mentioned, this Titans pass rush, total 180 from last year. Last year, it was an abject disaster. They couldn't get within two inches of the quarterback. All the fanboys, and at times, Mike Vrabel was trying to convince us that, well, we're getting pressures, we're affecting... No, no they weren't. It was, it was bad. And I think that one player has made the difference. One player who has stepped up for the Titans this year has made the difference for this pass rush and has, as a result, made everyone else, including new additions, better. Let me tell you who that one player is in 30 seconds. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. All right, the one player who has totally transformed this Titans pass rush, it all comes down to him. It's Danico Autry. It's Danico Autry. Harold Landry has been great. He has taken that step forward. You know, Will and I got into a lot about Harold Landry last year. And all I was sort of saying in those arguments was I wanted to see him do what he is doing now. And he is doing it, and he has been great. But I think that part of the reason that his production has gone up and part of the reason he's able to make some of these splash plays is because of Denico Autry. I think part of the reason that we have seen Jeffrey Simmons become more of an impact player is because of Denico Autry. Jeffrey Simmons is someone else that going into the season, I said, he's a good player, gets the job done for the most part, but he needs to take a step forward. He's not making an, an impact consistently enough. He's doing it now. And we've even seen Bud Dupree 
came alive at one point on Sunday, and he'll only get better the more settled in he gets, the healthier he gets. And Ola Adaini, this third-wave special teams linebacker free agent, for a while was the team leader in sacks. I put that on number 96, Danico Autry. His play on the inside and the outside for the Titans is freeing up things for other people, is setting the stage for other people, and it's also showing up on the stat sheet for him. It's not one of those things where, you know, you go back and look at the tape and it's like, man, they were double-teaming Danico Autry. No, like, Danico Autry is also getting home. I think this whole thing goes back to him. A-plus free agent signing from John Robinson. Yeah, I agree. He's been fantastic. He's, he's just been a wrecking force uh, in the middle. Um, it's crazy. Like the, I think it was week one. He played like less than 50% of the snaps. Uh, and we were just like, this guy should probably and, and play they, more. <laughs> and then they were like, well, that was by design. Because we talked on here. Yeah. They were like, what in the world? Yeah, that was crazy. I, I mean... I, I know he's technically more of a pass rusher than he is, you know, a run defender, but I don't care. Just put that guy on the field and he's going to make plays and he's done it. He did it with the Colts for the past couple of seasons, especially when he played against the Titans. He always gave our offensive line fits uh, and it's just translating here in Tennessee. Uh, and I agree. Everyone is playing better because of him, but I think he's also playing very well because of other players. I, I think it's a very symbiotic uh, relationship among the entire uh, defense, mostly on the defensive line. Like, man, Landry looks like he looks like a top five edge rusher in, in the NFL. Like, it, it's been crazy this season. Um, and obviously, Will has loved him. We've had we've had discussions about him, whether he's you know actually that good or not. This season, there is no oh no there are no. He's just been an absolute game changer. Um, and all of these pieces kind of working together is just is huge. It's huge for the defense. And we see what it's done, uh, especially in this last game against the Chiefs. Um, but it's awesome. And, and there's still room to grow because Bud Dupree still, you know, seems to be dealing with some of the after effects uh, of that ACL injury. So it's great, man. It's great. I mean, even Rashawn Evans made a play against the Chiefs. Like, when that's happening, you know things are really going your way. Yeah, like, I, you you phrased it in a very specific way to to set me up. Uh, so, yeah, like, I think Matias said it right, though. Like, Autry is a really nice piece, and he's really helpful, and he's doing a really good job. Most of Harold Landry's sacks and production have come from either his effort chasing guys down from behind, winning with speed and counter moves, all that kind of stuff, or stunts with Jeffrey Simmons. Like, those two have worked exceptionally well together. Uh, but, I mean, like, it, a pass rush should be a collective. It shouldn't be, you know, even when T.J. Watt last year was going crazy, part of it was because Bud Dupree was flashing on the other side and making guys move off the spot and all that. So, you know, I don't want to say it matters, but one matters any more than the others. The fact is, like, Autry beat Trey Smith nearly to death. Like, I mean, just worked him over all game. Like, it prob might have single-handedly taken him out of, like, rookie of the year honors for the offensive, or, like, all rookie honors for offensive linemen. Like, just dusted him. 
And then, like, when that wasn't working, it was Harold Landry beating guys with outside rip moves. And then once he did that, setting them up with, like, two-handed swipes and countering inside or stunting inside. Like, it, I, I really want to say, like, you know, it, much as it hurts me to say it, like, more than anything, it feels like uh, Shane Bowen just doing a better job. Like, there's more defensive line stunts called this year. There's so so much fewer three man rush stuff, which is much, much easier to take. There's that they've stopped doing as much of that line Harold Landry off the ball at off ball linebacker, which is a relief to me. They're doing more wide nine stuff. Like there's a, there's like a clip going around of him, like basically playing slot corner. Against nobody. Yeah. And everybody calling it wide 11, which is really funny. But like, yeah, like I mean, it's it's Jim Schwartz. Like that's Jim Schwartz saying, "Hey, have you ever tried your speed rusher doing things that speed rushers thrive <laughs> with?" And Shane Bowen's like, "Mike Vrabel's never told me that before. Maybe I should try." And <laughs> well, it so works. I, what I was going to say is, as you were talking about the wide nine stuff, I think that that has Schwartz's stamp all over it. But also at the same time, like you know, Landry playing in more more, more guys rushing, no more of this the, the weenie defense. I think that. When you say Shane Bowen is doing a better job, do you mean like than last year? Because I, I don't think it was yeah. his defense yeah, yeah, yeah. last year. Yeah, I think this with, was yeah, we're we're together. Yeah, this was so big. That, this was Big Mike's defense last year. Yeah, another. I guess another way to say this is this team is doing its best work because Mike Vrabel is the least involved he's been. Correct. So, <laughs> take, you know, I guess give him credit for hiring the assistant coaches, but. You know, it took him so – and you you and I disagreed on this when it happened. I just wasn't live on Twitter. But it was so clear to me that that was a catch. Like, the A.J. Brown catch was a catch that – I disagreed. I, I, I mean, the 60,000 people in the stadium were screaming yeah. at him to throw the flag. Now, 55,000 of them were just instinctively screaming. But on the replay, it looked so clear to me that he caught it, elbow down, whatever. It ended up being a catch. We all we all saw it from the different angles and stuff. Are you but criticizing like, Vrabel for taking so long? Yeah, because yeah. It was a TV timeout, and he actually explained no, blamed that after not, the game. It was an injury timeout. Oh. That's, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was an injury timeout. Had they not had the injury, he did not have his hand on the flag. He can say whatever he wants. He can say that last year wasn't his defense. He can lie as much as he feels necessary. But I'm telling you, I've seen him not throw the flag a million times before, and I'm telling you he would not have thrown that flag because I watched his hand the whole time, and he was doing that pinky up to the uh, headset thing that he always does, and he was not going to throw that until they showed it on the reap on the board four or five times. I don't buy that. Vrabel said after the game they knew right away that it was a catch. But it was a timeout, and he was just talking to the officials, asking if uh, upstairs was going to look at it. Well, uh, but, I, I guess, but, and, I and guess here's I, because now remember, and this happened against Buffalo with the Josh Allen run at the end, not the sneak, the play before that. Mm-hmm. Upstairs can do quick corrections now. That is true. Now, and, I, I and guess, what Vrabel was saying was, since they had time, they were seeing if there was going to be any kind of correction before he threw the flag. I, I don't think that's a fair criticism. I, I, I guess in that scenario, I, I'm willing to let the gray area be a gray area. <laughs> I will also say he has been hesitant for most of his career to throw challenge flags because he's like, well, 
nine times out of ten, it comes down to the interpretation of the official, and they don't want to change their own play. Like, he says all that, and, like, that's why he doesn't challenge spots, which, okay, fine, but he should have challenged the one earlier in the season that was clear, clearly short of the first day. Like, th- there's a hundred plays you can look back on Vrabel's career as a head coach that he should have challenged that he didn't. But, yeah, like, I, I, I am willing to say that since we just saw them do that last week, that there is a chance that he was talking to the official and then he saw that there's an injured player and then he realized he didn't have to make the decision quickly. Uh, while we're talking about this defense, we need to talk about our former uh, introducer of our podcast because so, sort of a, like tongue-in-cheek, but also like it, it was time, we took Rashawn Evans out of the introduction of our podcast. If you're new to us, uh, used to for the first three years of us doing this, uh, every time our our podcast would start, it would say, this is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to No Nonsense. He recorded that for us in, gosh, 2019. Uh, we took it off because he'd been playing so bad for so long. Is it any coincidence, then, that the two games since we took Rashawn off of the intro, he made that key red zone stop against the Bills, and in this week, he made a very nice interception on a tipped Patrick Mahomes pass. Were we the motivation Rashawn Evans needed? I mean, all the signs are pointing to that, so we will take all the credit. I mean, look, he's still not very good, but at least he's making an impact, which he just wasn't doing before. But I'm not going to say that he's saved because we've just we've seen we've seen what he really is on, on most of the other plays, but. I, I do like that he's at least making an impact, um, and he's done it in the two biggest games. So maybe he's just wait. Maybe he just waits. Maybe he just likes to wait for the biggest games to come around, uh, and then he, uh, you know, will make the plays that matter. What? Right, Will? Well, Will, Will <laughs> what I'm curious from Will, what does Evans need to do for us to put him back in the intro to this podcast? It, it would take a lot. <laughs> he, he, you know, like, look, like, I, I hope he goes and he makes $15 million a year in free agency and he lives the happiest life he can live. This is just not the defense for him. Like, he made, he made good plays. And what that's is the defense stuff. for him? I mean, he's going to have to be in a traditional, like, 4-3 scheme, like, where he's As got a, a coach in his ear. I, I mean, it's got to be, and he's, but like, I, I know the the thing is like he's hesitant versus the run, but you've just got to have a coach that's in his year, and he he just got to say, look, I see this gap's open, you're gonna run into it no matter what, like, and you just hope that he collides with somebody, but yeah, like, you know, I would like, I guess if he has a if if he has a touchdown of some kind, uh, not that he allowed, but that he caused or was a part of. Uh, if that happens, then he can go back in the intro. But it's just like even even in his past game, he played what I'm looking at it now. He played 64 percent of the snaps on defense. And that's not because they took him out late in the game because they didn't like that. They did on like the very last drive. But I mean, primarily, he's just getting subbed out. And that's, you know, his his responsibility is not so much. To be an every down defender, it's to be a rundown defender until they can go nickel or whatever. Like, is Jayon coming back? I would think at some year? point because I, I feel like I have not heard anything on him in a little bit, uh, and it feels like it's been. It's I guess he went on the same time Fulton did. 
But regardless, um, I, I'm interested to see what happens when Jayon gets back because it looked like Jayon was about to take Rashawn's spot and Rashawn was going to be like a situational, if anything, guy. And then they brought in Williamson, and at the same time, we took him out of the podcast intro, and one of those things sparked a fire under him, and he's been playing better <laughs> since. So who am I to say right. which one it is? I forgot about the Williamson signing. That probably did it, actually. But yeah, um, Williamson, so, who played on, on Sunday, he did not play against the Bills. He played on special teams, right? Is that right? I don't know. I just know that when I got the game summary after the Bills game, it said did not play 53 Williamson, and this week it did not say that. Yeah, he played on special. He played eight special team snaps. Okay. So, oh, by the way, exactly what we should have expected. That's the path to start to starting for a Mike Vrabel linebacker is you have to play special teams. Nothing else matters. And then once you play enough special teams, you're then eligible for a starting spot. <laughs> it's, why, it's why they waited till Monty Rice got hurt. It's why Jayon Brown took two years to start. Like uh, ever, uh, Jayon Brown Long, sorry. was a mal- malarkey guy. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I meant David Long. Which, by the way, shout out to David Long for being just an one, absolute lightning bolt. One of the best players on defense this entire season. He is, He's been incredible. Was he a sixth like, or a seventh round pick? He was a fifth round pick, I believe. Maybe sixth. Maybe he was a sixth behind uh, DeAndre. Uh, I've, got, uh, well, I've got my yeah, sixth round pick. Okay. Pick number one hundred eighty-eight traded from Miami. He was like out. his conference's player of the year, right? His last season, like. Uh, no, he yeah, had a ton he led, of tackles. led the conference in tackles. Yeah, led the conference in tackles. I mean, he like look th- again. This is one of those things where it's like, don't you think the coaches know a little bit more than you do about who should play? No. Because we've been having <laughs> long to play for two years. Like yeah. ever since he was on the field when they shut down Lamar Jackson in the playoffs, and he was basically responsible for <laughs> Lamar Jackson on two fourth and ones, and he stopped them. Like when they hadn't been stopped all year twice, and like it's like no, like that guy is a player. And now they're talking about oh, you can just see the fire in his eyes, and he really wants it. I'm like. Yeah, man. Anybody who put up with that for two years after knowing he was one of the best <laughs> players on the team and he just rode the bench, like, yeah, he must really love football. So that not-so-subtle jab at Mike Vrabel is a great segue into our next conversation. It's one that we started to have before we started recording, and I was like, we, we got to stop. This is, this is a podcast on-record conversation that needs to happen, and that is... You know, I think we're all more, more, maybe more confident in the Titans than we were a few weeks ago after seeing them take down the Bills and the Chiefs. But the question that you posed, Will, was if they played the Jets again on Sunday, do you think that there's any chance they could lose now? Basically, is what you asked. And I think what what the question to come out of that is. Is is this still the Titans team that has these high highs and then boom has these really, really low lows and plays down in their competition? I think, yeah. I I was in that stadium for the Bills and the Chiefs games. I saw what they did. I saw them manhandle Patrick Mahomes. But look, as long as Mike Vrabel's the coach of this team, and until they prove otherwise, after personally getting embarrassed for for having gone 
uh, out there and saying there was no chance they were going to lose to the Jets, which I also said about the Bengals last year. Um, <laughs> I I can't I can't say, oh yeah, they definitely beat the Jets now because because they figured it out. Like no, I I think if they played the Jets on Sunday, as in like this coming Sunday, they might win. I don't know. It, it wouldn't be pretty. I don't think. Um, no, Matthias, no. yeah, you go. I'm not. Um, I'm not sold that they would. They that they would just completely blow out any team. Like nothing. Nothing has really changed. I feel more confident in them as a playoff team. Like now, I, well, I mean, I, I I knew they could beat like any team in the league, really. Um, but the fact that they did this to the Chiefs, especially uh, the defensive performance, I think makes me a little more confident. Um, in them as a playoff team once the playoffs come around. But no, they could easily lose to the Jets. Um, I think the only team they probably, I would say, they won't lose to is the Jaguars. And maybe I'm setting myself up for an old takes exposed, but the Jaguars are just like their their little brothers. I know this is going to come back (laughs) on me. Remember when Jacksonville um, almost beat uh, Cincinnati on Thursday Night Football? Yeah. yeah, That was wild. Anyway, the, <laughs> what, what I was getting at was the Jaguars suck, and that's the only team. But if they played the Jets again, uh, no, I couldn't guarantee a win because, I mean, the Titans have beaten good teams, and, and they've kind of killed them or dominated them uh, over the past few seasons. Like, it's happened before, uh, and they still, you know, they still go up against a team that's worse than them, and they play down to their competition, so... There's no reason to believe that this season will be any different uh, after two games, you know, especially two home games. So here's why. Here's why I'm in conflict with my with myself and with uh, with that take, because I do think that Mike Vrabel has to lose to a bad team. I think it's in his blood, but I almost think that he does it so that he can constantly say. Do you want to have that happen all over to you again? Like, and point to come on, the Will. The, now, come here, on. Let me let, let me let me let me this show is, my work. This is conspiratorial, even for you. I, I'm not saying he's throwing the games. I'm saying <laughs> that he does. Not, I'm saying that the only way he knows how to coach is, and we've said this before, is he has to feel like underdogs. Like the, yeah. this team has to feel like they've been disrespected, and he needs a game like a loss to Cincinnati or a loss to the Jets where you can say, look, you know, look how quick they turned on you. Nobody really believes in you. All those cameras aren't here to see you. They're here to see the other team. Like he, he said some of that verbatim before, but let me show. I mean, Hey, the first line that I saw for the Colts game coming up is that the Colts are favored. Yeah. Favored by one point in insane. Um, Which that's what it was. As we'll get into with our Colts preview momentarily, Vegas might know what's up, but go ahead. Yeah, they rarely do. Um, but <laughs> so the the Titans last year, after they lost to the Bengals, they beat a crappy Bears team. They lost to the Colts, who ended up winning ten or eleven games or whatever it was. Then they beat the Ravens, beat the Colts, lost to the Browns, who were a good team. Then they beat the crappy Jaguars, beat the Detroit Lions, who were bad, lost to the Packers in an absolute shellacking, and then beat the Texans in a game where it almost feels like they should have lost it because 
how close it was and because it would have been a devastating loss that lost them the AFC South, but they didn't like they ended up beating. Now they won these games. They didn't blow everybody out. Like they did blow out the Jaguars and uh, they blew out the bears for the most part and the lines too. Like, but I, I just, I think that there's some shtick that, that Vrabel does where he's like, you know, y'all aren't as good as you think you are. And if they're winning, it doesn't work and they play close games and they win or whatever. But if they lose, I think he's, I think that's when he's really in his wheelhouse. And he's like, Oh yeah. Everybody told him they were the worst team in the league. Like, and then, then he gets his groove. So Make of that what you will, but I also said that would they would they be able to beat the Jets again if they had, or do we think they would beat the Jets again if they had Julio and AJ? Which I I, I think AJ That's Brown, different. yeah, I think AJ Brown has been good enough, and I guess also if Todd Downing called like plays a little better, but I I mean I I don't know, like it, it's every game's a lot easier to win when you don't get sacked a billion times. And that is a great segue into our preview of Titans versus Colts, which we will get into in just one moment. Following that, we will have Stop the Nonsense. And this will be a fun week for that, as as usual. But but I'm excited for mine, and I'm excited to hear uh, Will's and Matthias's as well. So we will be back in 30 seconds. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Titans-Colts coming up on Sunday in Indianapolis. A weird situation where the Titans are playing the Colts for the second time in just over a month. Uh, it, it, it's it's strange. So both of these teams will know each other very well. There's not really a whole lot of differences in in either of these teams. Uh, Carson Wentz is certainly healthier. I guess that's one, different, one difference between uh, then and now. Guys, as soon as the Titans romped the Chiefs on is that a word romped stomped romped sounds good yeah we'll go with it as soon as the tight (laughs) as soon as the titans beat the chiefs on sunday um i I was sort of walking around saying that was great and they're going to be absolutely unwatchable against the colts on sunday and i still feel that way now i'm not saying they're going to lose but it's going to be clunky and and I don't think it's going to look very good because that's who they are. And this is kind of the conversation we were just having. When they get on that high and they start talking about, we, we believe we can beat anybody. Now, I haven't, I haven't heard anybody talking about the whole, you know, we deserve more attention and respect. Because <laughs> usually if they, if they start talking about that, they are in for a swift kick in the rear. But I, I just... Like I said, I don't necessarily think they're going to lose. It's not going to be pretty, though, because that, that's who they are, and I refuse to think otherwise. I'm not going to get duped again like I have in the past by this team. No, I, I agree, and especially in a division game against a Colts team that kind of likes those type of, types of games. Like That's what they want. They want a defensive-minded type of game where they could – run the ball with Jonathan Taylor, do those little screen passes to Naheem Hines uh, and, and not be forced to throw uh, for the duration of the game like that. That's kind of what the Colts want to do. 
Um, and, and they're kind of a like I, I know they didn't play very well against the tight ends uh, a month ago, but Carson Wentz was also dealing with like two sprained ankles. Uh, they've played tough against the Rams and the Ravens, uh, and they've won three out of their last four. So I know they haven't really played anyone. I mean, two of those came against the Dolphins and Texans, uh, and the last one was against the Niners, who look look terrible. They look like one of the worst teams in the league. So I, I don't think the Colts are all that great. I, I do think, man, I can't even say Wentz is playing better, to be honest with you, because I watched that that Niners game, and he was begging, just begging to throw to throw to, to give the ball over to throw an interception or fumble the ball um and some people might look at his interception stats and see oh he's only thrown one interception but he also has four fumbles um and, and i think what i think the one against the niners where he like pushed it forward uh, yeah. I think it was ruled. It was ruled a fumble, but like that was yeah. an interception. So. so stupid. It's it's so stupid that they will relook at that and they will not relook at yeah. Nico Autry's sack in overtime. Like that still makes me angry. Like just such a clear sack, and they're like, "Oh, protect baby Carson Wentz because we don't want the Colts to get bashed for trading for the guy who led the league <laughs> in interceptions in twelve games." Like that's such a like pathetic thing because he was just going to throw it right at that guy anyway. Uh, yeah. I was pretty much done, but um, oh, okay. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Go like, ahead. so the Colts are weird, right? Like, it they looked like they might be something when they had T.Y. Hilton. Then T.Y. Hilton ended up back on injured reserve, right? Um, then I think he might have been on the pup list, actually. And then he got put on the injured reserve list after that one game against, I'm going to say, the Dolphins. Uh, and then uh, Paris Campbell also went injured reserve, right? Like with his foot, maybe done for the season, probably done. Yeah, for the yeah. he's out for the so, year, I think. I, the, I don't know if it's the whole game, and I act- should actually go look it up. But uh, I know that the uh, the Colts had 94 or 91 yards in defensive pass interference yardage uh, against the 49ers, and they ended up with 150 passing yards so that at one point for a long stretch they had outpaced uh, their defensive pass interference had outpaced their passing production so you know don't don't really look at that score and think that they were doing anything special that i mean they weren't like they just were lobbing up passes and the ones that hit guys right in the hands were dropped and the ones that uh, you know the receiver never had a chance at making were called defensive pass interference because whichever backup corner for the 49ers was in couldn't Emmanuel Mosley sticks out to me because he's a dude and that was he was so bad in that game game. (laughs) yeah Yeah. and then uh after the game Darius Leonard talked to the media and he said uh they really had our number or I'm not reading a quote I'm just trying to remember what it said uh they said they really had our number earlier in the game running misdirection runs I'm really glad they stopped doing that so he basically said yeah, he basically said, thank goodness that they stopped doing the thing that they were beating us up with. Otherwise, they would have kept beating us up. <laughs> and, and he's right. Like, I mean, like, they were getting crushed. Like, I, I mean, it was, if it wasn't, uh, what did they call it, a river bomb or some weird, like, uh, weather term for what? It, Atmospheric that, river slash yeah. cyclone. There you go. Thank you, Matthias, for not. I admittedly did not insane. watch any of this game, so I did Good. see yeah, some so pictures and stuff. Terrible. It was. Yeah, terrible. it looked like it was being like recorded on like a uh, an old like uh, 
you know the ones you see in a cartoon when they're doing the movies, like the grainy film. Like that's yeah, how I've rainy seen, it I've was. I've seen like pictures and stuff. I just didn't watch the game and hear the catchphrases that were apparently yeah, thrown like, around. There you go. Like the two things you missed were how badly the Colts played in one and Condoleezza Rice, who they talked about seemingly nonstop. Condoleezza um, Rice, former head coaching candidate for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, that's right. Best leak ever. Uh, By the way, think the, the problem with that has nothing to do with her being a woman. It has everything to do with, with her not being a football person. Like, I don't care if they're going to get like, you know, Mitt Romney or Joe Biden or like, Oh, what a great leader. Oh, gosh. What a disaster. Yeah. like oh, I mean, like, the, it was never real. Like, it was just used to, like, sort out leaks and all that. <laughs> but, like, the, the, like, I can't believe but anybody that bought it. was a Schefter it. thing, though. It wasn't, like, some rando. Yeah, because yeah, somebody leaked it to Schefter. Like, somebody up high in the organization, and then they got canned. I think it was the GM, actually, who, like, <laughs> leaked it. Because I think the owner told him. But, it, anyway, <laughs> that's the hassle. Like, I think I would know that. But, uh the, the the point is like they should have just t- said that she was going to be the GM and that would have made a lot more sense. But anyway, well, not uh, not a whole lot. But. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's fair. Like, but it made more sense than her calling plays and. <laughs> yeah. all, but you know, in, anyway, like let's go back to the Colts. So uh, the one thing they do well intentionally and not accidentally or th- thanks to the refs is give Jonathan Taylor the ball. Um, which they, which that, they didn't do the last time these two teams played. No, because they didn't have a chance because they were so they were behind so quickly, so many times. Like kind of like what happened with the Chiefs game. But you know that the thing that this proves, if if you're watching all the games that the Colts play, is that Quentin Nelson doesn't matter. Like it, they they missed him for three weeks, and they had their best stretch of offensive football, basically nothing changed like they just handed the ball to Jonathan Taylor more and they played worse teams. But you know, I I hope this teaches everybody that haven't, there's no difference in having an above average guard and a hall of fame guard. It's just how many times they call your name on the broadcast and how many times they show you messing up. So there's my little mini rant about that. I I mean, but like, where's the cutoff? Like, are we saying like, I'm watching guard play. Like, are we saying, well, uh, let me just ask, I'm I'm asking to learn, you know, are we saying that there's no difference between, um, you know, Roger, Roger Saffold and Bruce Matthews? Are we saying that there's no difference between Quentin Spain and Roger Saffold? Like, what are we saying here? Uh, I, I think the best way to say it is, um, Somebody described them as preventers and creators. Like when you're when you have a player on a football field, they're either a preventer or a creator. Guards are just preventers. Like there, there's no play that's made because a guard takes somebody forty yards out of the way. There's a lot of plays made because they prevent linebackers from getting to the ball carrier. But it's more of if you wall him off for a second, your running back should be able to pass him and create a bad angle. So. In that sense, you're just talking about a what percentage of plays are you preventing something from happening? And so, you know, a high-level preventer, great. Like 99% of the time, you make sure your guy's not getting a sack and you make sure you're walling off your guy. But there's also 10 other defenders. And on run plays, you know, that I would say four of them are in position to make a play on that ball carrier and your job is dependent on them doing their job, blocking those guys. And then preventing sacks, like if you're 94%, you're one of the worst guards in the league in pass protection. 
If you're 99%, you're one of the best guards in the league. So that 5% may matter for three or four sacks over the course of the year. And if those are big plays against you, then yeah, like you, you know, you mattered, but not necessarily over somebody who would get 97% done and definitely not worth the same thing as somebody who gets 15 sacks a year or whoever the best, you know, wide receiver is in the league. Like, so, so that's, that's my contention compared to other premium positions, like the money and the draft compensation is not worth it. But okay. that's, that's I mean, we, we've had similar conversations to this on here before. I, like back yeah. when Quentin Nelson was in the draft, I remember we were talking about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again. I, I yeah, we 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 talk about this a lot. Same thing with linebackers and tight ends. Like, you know, like you have to be. I think you have to outperform the average level of your class by a certain percentage to really, or, or have the chance to do that uh, to really warrant a high pick, but. You know, if you play wide receiver and you call yourself a tight end like Kyle Pitts, you know, all bets are off. Like, he looks like a stud. So, I'm all for that. You know, looking back on the last time these two teams played about five weeks ago, it it didn't feel like a great Titans win. It was sort of ugly. But they beat them by two scores, and it should have been much worse if not for some, like, fluky turnovers, like NWI fumbled going near the end zone. Chester Rogers dropped a pass that flew up into the air and was easily intercepted, I believe, by Julian Blackman. Um, And especially with Wentz's turnover propensity, I did see that awful, awful interception he had on Sunday night. And that's not something that's new for him. Like, I think the Titans are going to win this game. I think they'll be 6-2 heading into Sunday night football against the Rams. But to go back to what I said to introduce this segment, I, I just don't think it's going to be very pretty. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big Derrick Henry day. It's going to be a lot of – we're going to see Brett Kern more than twice, I think. But in the end, I think they come out on top. Uh, do you guys think there's a chance the Colts win this game? I think there's a chance, certainly. Well, there's always a chance. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to – yeah. I think the Colts are going to give the time to – a, a pretty tough game, especially it being in Indianapolis. I feel like we never really play well in Indianapolis, right? Doesn't they have like- a, it like so. I remember they killed. They didn't kill. Maybe not the scoreboard. They sacked Jacoby Brissett like eight times once. I can't remember mm. if that was Vrabel or Malarkey. I want to say it was when. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I want to say it was Vrabel, but go. What will? I was gonna say you remember last year when we played there and we beat the piss out of them like forty-one to. 13 or something i honestly don't <laughs> i don't uh, remember that game at all yeah aj brown had a kickoff return for a touchdown that's on a right kick. uh they, yeah just like absolutely trashed i, I, I couldn't tell you anything um, else about that game i think derrick henry averaged 10 yards a carry uh for the most part of the game um let me see they lost it, it was a 45 to 26 titans win uh it was Let's see. Late in the season. Derrick Henry had 27 rushes for 178 yards and three touchdowns. Good night. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Absolutely toasted him. Uh, just, a tip, just, a, just an average game for him. Yeah. Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry both had sacks. Uh, yeah. Like, they, they just absolutely crushed him. So, 
I, I mean, AJ Brown had 98 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Corey Davis had 70 yards receiving. Like, uh, yeah, they, I take it back. We we do play well. So, but well, <laughs> but, I mean, your, your point in like it, it was uh, 35 to 14 at half. So, but like your point isn't wrong. Like it does. They do seem like a dangerous team. But my thing is, I have a really hard time convincing myself how they're going to beat the Titans without uh, Blackman. Right? Like he just went on an hour with an ACL or Achilles injury or something, and then uh, they are also they've got Quentin Nelson back, but it'll be a second game back. They're coming off of that road game in San Francisco where they had to play three hours in the rain. They're without T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell. I still think they're missing their starting right tackle, and they benched their starting right guard, I believe. So, like, there's a a lot of, like, you know, confusion, and maybe they go crazy. Like, maybe Jonathan Taylor has 25 carries for 220 yards and three touchdowns. But, I mean, is that more likely than Derrick Henry doing the thing that Derrick Henry's done to him over and over and over again? Like, I don't know. Like, it, it, you know, we didn't uh, – the Titans didn't have A.J. Brown the last time they played him either. Remember, he got hurt like two plays into the game, and Julio had like a ton of yards in the first half, and then he, he got his hamstring tight, and he got pulled for the second half. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I have a hard time think because it did feel like the Titans kind of played – with a hand tied behind their back in that game. And it still felt like they left a lot of points on the board because of those two red zone fumbles slash the red zone tip pick that they had. So I'm I'm interested to see how motivated they are because I mean, this is the week where everybody's going to be reading their press clippings. Like, you know, Mike Vrabel can't say, okay, we got a short week. They're not even favored. No, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. Like, ve- like the whole least, Vegas. Let me let me see what DraftKings Sportsbook has. Are are the Titans going to feel like underdogs? Though I don't think so. I, I mean, they wouldn't have if Vegas didn't give them free ammunition. <laughs> like Vrabel's going to say, "Look, it doesn't matter what y'all do; they're still going to doubt you. You can beat the, the cheat. Vrabel you can beat the number way. one seed. <laughs> I mean, like it's like you can beat the number one seed and the number two seed. They had the, those teams favored by a touchdown over you both times. You came out one, and they still don't think you're any good. And it's like, oh man, like I mean that. Forget heroin. Like that's his drug of choice. Like <laughs> get, give every give every team a plus or a minus one. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, so, I, 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 the, so DraftKings Sportsbook has the Titans favored by one. Okay. That makes sense. But I do think you're right. Like, I think the line, like, was... Let's see what uh, MGM. Minus one and a half. I'm going to check BetMGM now. Uh, but uh, the point, like, part Bet of the M- thing... BetMGM also has the Titans favored by one. Oh, so they, it moved. The line moved, then. Yeah, but there's there's a tweet out there that Mike Vrabel can show and say, nobody look online, <laughs> but this is what the current line is. And uh, we know he read it because he's so active on Twitter. Yeah, like I mean, he's he's actively searching it. Like he's like, you guys don't know what you're doing, Mike Vrabel. He's that guy. Uh, he NFL Twitter draft searches Titans underdog. <laughs> he, he has like NFL draft bites on his uh, like uh, notification list. It's like I wonder if he said anything about me today, loser. Um, but uh, to just while you know Luke's looking at, at that stuff, like I'm looking at the Colts defense and everything, and you know. 
not not disrespecting Darius Leonard. Like he's he's a good player. Like I think we all know he's a good player. Like I don't know if he's quite the like superstar. A- I think they call him like axe murderer or like psycho killer, some crazy Who? nickname. Uh, Darius Leonard. Like he has oh, some crazy nickname. Uh, maniac. That's, they call him the maniac. Oh, that's cringy. Yeah, it it is. It's bad. Um, but I mean, all year he only has two tackles for loss. Like no sacks. Like I mean, will don't disrespect the best linebacker since Ray Lewis. Okay, like that, that's the thing is it's like I hate I, like I really do think he's a good linebacker, obviously, but like they gave him like a billion dollars. I mean, they gave him twenty million dollars just like they're gonna give Quentin Nelson, and it's like I just like I don't know if I would want them to do that if I was in that position. But like you know, he's good. Like I wonder if he's gonna try to punch the ball out on Derrick Henry again after he got absolutely trucked and run over. Uh, and it like that was the angry run of the week or whatever. Like I wonder if he's going to try that or if he's just going to play it safe. But whew, I just don't know. Like Quiddy Pay for all the talk about oh Quiddy Pay, uh, he like he really messed up. If you didn't listen to the broadcast, so you might not know this, but they were like he really makes that play go when he runs right by uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and misses him, and then somebody else came and got the sack. Like. I mean, Quiddy Pay has zero quarterback sacks or quarterback uh, hits attributed to him. Now, like, keeping in mind that I watched this team play in uh, was it week two or week three? Week three, yeah, it was week three. That was the first time I have heard Quiddy Pay's name since Roger Goodell said the Indianapolis Colts select Quiddy Pay, edge rusher, Michigan. Yeah, and I I believe that uh, he was out with a hamstring for the Titans game. Um, yeah, he like. No, no, he played. Sorry, I'm wrong. Uh, he played early, and then he went out with a hamstring injury in that game that made him miss week four and week five. But, yeah, like, could this team go crazy and just DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard, you know, they step up and do stuff? Like, yeah, like, man, sure, that could happen with anybody. I just, like, I have a hard time painting a picture where without something crazy happening where it's even within – four points like i mean i just like if you figure okay they're gonna make sure derrick henry gets a touchdown because they want him to win mvp and they want him to get his yards aj or julio feels like they're gonna get a touchdown Tannehill feels like he's either gonna run one in or get one to prove it or one of those other guys that you know chester rogers like they love to give him the ball Danico autry feels like he's gonna absolutely go off after finally hitting his stride now he gets to go back to indianapolis like I mean, it, this just feels like the wrong time to be playing the Titans. It's the right time for Stop the Nonsense. Who would like to start? I can go if you guys want. Have at it. Um, I lost the tweet that <laughs> I was going to use for Stop the Nonsense. I found it. I found it. I found it. Okay. So it was uh, our good friend Mike Florio who is just deteriorating. As, well, I quoted as a journalist. him at the beginning of this episode. It, it's did you? What was the quote? That Tannehill talking about we waited for the onslaught that never came. Oh, okay. Well, I mean that's not it's not an opinion. So as long as he stays away from opinions, he's usually good. <laughs> so he wrote an article. On is this Sunday? This might have been Saturday. I'm not sure. Uh, he says the fact that Trey Lance has yet to beat out a middle of the pack veteran QB who can't stay healthy suggests that the 49ers shouldn't have traded up. 
the fact that Lance is already injured doesn't help matters. He says the Trey Lance experiment has indeed been a disappointment. Uh, then someone says he started literally one game. <laughs> and his response, Mike Flores' response is, and he got injured in it. Not a good sign. The fact that the fact that he's coming to this, these conclusions after one start, mm. one start is the most insane thing I've ever seen. Can I can I say I didn't hate the take up until the part where he said the Trey Lance experience has been a disappointment? Because like that, it's like okay, but I mean like he hadn't beaten out the middle of the pack guy, and he has been hurt. Like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I would be saying that if the Titans had a quarterback in that position, no? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you would say that no matter what the Titans <laughs> did. <laughs> you would be like, I don't know. There's other hey, people who've done I'm a big Dylan Radens fan. I always love hey, when you can get a stud. backup a guard, guard in the second round. Hey, not a backup guard, backup to both guard spots, and he's playing <laughs> out of position. That'd be like if they asked A.J. Brown to come in and play running back for a little bit because they weren't sure. <laughs> morons. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, but he does speak like not not Raiden's uh, Florio <laughs> does speak and have takes like uh, when you just start clicking the words that your autocorrect like tells you <laughs> like suggests you write. It's like disappointing season, injury, like all that stuff. Um, well, it's it's no coincidence that you know PFT comment or the barstool yeah. guy. PFT is pro football talk equals Mike Florio. Yeah, which is hilarious because he sure, does he does a he- great job. He was a good reporter, like back in the day. Like, well, he, but he, I feel like he's gotten more clout per se, and he just feels like he has more power. So he'll just whip out these opinion pieces that are usually just train wrecks. Honestly, you know who are two of the best uh, sports writers of the last generation is Skip Bayless and Colin Cowherd. I guess I guess Cowherd's not a he's a personality, not a sports writer. But when they gonna, started is out, is this going to be Stephen A. Smith? No, what? No, I mean, this is just like these guys were good until they. Oh, I thought you were going to use Stephen A. Smith as your stop the nonsense. No, 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 no. My my point was that like just like Florio, like these guys got like got so famous that they started parodying themselves because they wanted to create <laughs> their brand, and it worked. Like. Unfortunately, that's the way the model trended, and that's why you have people in Nashville who do the same thing. Like, you know, you just you try to come off at, like as much like a jerk, and like you know more than everybody else, and then you're wrong, and the smart people leave and don't feed into it, and the other people just follow and eat it up. It's wild. Calhoun um, and Stephen A are entertaining, at least though. Some of the others just yeah. like like you know we talked about Broussard last week, like. Like, at least Colin Cowherd is, like, funny. You know, Broussard. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's the dude that, uh, Nick Wright. Uh, he's, the, he's the worst. Um, I think it's Nick Wright. Maybe it's not. The, the one who does the, a lot like, of basketball if, if stuff. If you're an NFL fan. It is. It is. If you're an yeah. NFL fan, why would you wake up and watch, like, you're getting ready for work or maybe you're, I don't know, a stay-at-home parent or something. Why would you voluntarily choose first things first over good morning football? Or whatever ESPN has on, just listen to our podcast. Hey, like hey, truly, us. just listen to it on repeat. You'll you'll get more so much more out of it, and it's much less infuriating. Um, but that leads me to my stop the nonsense, which is 
every Titans fan who thought that Trey Smith would have been the automatic answer and a superstar. So, oh, so we're going double Trey Smith. Oh, Trey Smith, excuse me. The guard for the Chiefs, not Trey Lance. Yeah. Double Trey. Yeah, yeah. It's it's everybody who liked Trey Lance. No, uh, so Trey Smith, like I I think I said this last week for some reason, but I went to the University of Tennessee. I, you know, graduated and everything. And, you know, like I Trey Smith's awesome. Like super cool story, great guy, you know, went to high school around where I went to high school. Like, I think he's gonna be very good. But this idea that the Titans needed a, an offensive tackle, so they should have drafted Trey Smith instead of Dylan Radens and done all this other stuff. Like it's just mental gymnastics, and hindsight is twenty twenty. Like it's all the stuff that, like, it just doesn't. It doesn't actually work practically. It's just what if we did this instead of this? And I, I went into the game fully expecting Trey Smith to have a good game because. You know, I'd watched a couple of games. He was fine. Like I thought, I thought Buffalo was up and down. Like, you know, he he was okay. But you know, he's a rookie. He doesn't look fully comfortable. But man, he just got shellacked all game. Like it, it. I haven't seen him play that bad since he was at Tennessee, and they tried to put him at tackle, and he just got toasted. And they, you know, they had to work around and figure out ways to use him and stuff. But I mean, Danico Autry just, I mean, just absolutely clown suited him several times, and like. It felt like the only times that Trey Smith wasn't getting beat are the plays that the Titans weren't rushing, and they were just playing that soft zone and letting Mahomes make his mistakes. But man, that if you ever thought that dude was going to be the answer to Tennessee, like you are wildly incorrect. So my stop the nonsense is simple, and I sent you guys this. I was walking back inside after taking videos of pregame warmups at the game on Sunday. And as I'm walking to get to the stairs to walk up to the press box, I pass this person. And if you're listening to this, if you're if you happen to be a fan of no nonsense, I'm sorry, but I, I question your choices. And and please feel free to tweet us or message us and uh, and defend yourself. We'll even maybe even let you on the show to defend yourself. But I, I see this number eleven jersey. Number eleven for the Titans is of course AJ Brown. But the name on the back of this jersey is not Brown, and it also is not this guy's last name. It says Yak God. And so here's what I don't get. I don't get putting something that is not a name on the back of a jersey. You want to wear an A.J. Brown jersey? Great. You want to get a custom jersey like the classic Matt Neely 69 jersey or, or you know... You know, if I if I was a big I don't know Tampa fan and I wanted a a number ten Worsham jersey, cool. You know, I don't mind that. But like, I don't understand. I guess what I don't understand is why people would want this. Like, would why not just buy an AJ Brown jersey? Why pay the extra money? Yak God. Like, I know AJ Brown is great after the catch, but like. And I feel like I've probably, you know, surely somewhere in that stadium there's a 22 jersey where someone has the king written on the back of it. Like, I hate that equally. I mean, maybe you're I not understanding also, the jersey. It's because it's A.J. Brown is the yak god. It may yes, be a little course. bit too sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> I also hate it. It's wild to me. Like, if you're going to put your own name, like, kind of like you said, like, if you want to customize a jersey or whatever, like, I also don't like people that are like, 
like uh, if their jer- if their jersey number was ninety nine in uh, high school or whatever, and they like write their own name, like that's a little weird to me. But like for the most part, like if you customize your jersey with your last name and it's just like a random number, and like you have other people in your family that wear it or whatever, because it's like you know. Derrick Henry's my favorite player, so I put my name on the back of a Derrick no, Henry like, jersey. Because, I have a, like, I have a, that's fine. I have a buddy where he, his dad, his uncle, and his grandfather, they're all huge St. Louis Cardinals fans, and they all bought jerseys. Their last name's Qualls, and it all on the back of it said Qualls, and then the number was the year they were born. Like, I thought that was pretty neat. That was like a Christmas yeah. thing. But, you know, they, they didn't buy a... You know, an Albert Pujols jersey with the machine written on the back of it. You know, like I, yeah, that's the reference I was going to use because it's baseball too. But I guess since you took it, I won't use. Well, I had it. to go with the St. Louis uh, Cardinals reference to make sense. You know, yeah, yeah, that is that is true. But yeah, like I mean, like you said, like don't. It's not the XFL. Like you don't you don't need to <laughs> get a jersey and put a nickname on the back. It's not those like the bad nickname jerseys that the NBA did or still do. I don't know, but like. Just like <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That is weird to me. If if you are someone that does this, please don't send be offended. Send send us a pic and and let us defend yourself. We we love debate. We love we we embrace debate here on no nonsense. Yes. Uh, we also embrace all of you. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for being our faithful family here at No Nonsense. We will be back next week to recap Titans versus Colts and to look ahead to. Sunday night football should be a lot of fun. Titans are 0-2 in their last two Sunday night football appearances. Maybe this one will be different. Also, maybe they'll beat the Colts on Sunday. Until next time, for Willem and TSI, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.